In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We're continuing our series. We're in the, uh, we're looking at the book of Luke, and we're looking at Jesus, the same Jesus, and, but all these different faces. We're looking at all these different people that he saw. He spent time with a centurion. We talked about that, the Roman. He spent time with a widow who had just lost her husband, and she had now lost her son, and how Jesus steps into their life. Today, we're going to look at kind of an interesting case when we look at uh, Luke, and we're looking at the what it says right in the Bible, if you have one of the Bibles, it's going to have a heading in one of the settings that it's like the sinful woman. So we're going to kind of talk about that and what that means. I got a picture up here. Nothing. Not, that's, that's not the picture. How did that even happen? There we go. I got a picture up here. We're going to talk about stories. You ever wonder why people like stories? How many of you like stories? Yeah, I think just about everybody likes stories. And especially now as our culture moves and on and on. And why do we like stories so much? And just think about how strange it would be if you just like looked down from outer space and you they just looked at someone who was reading a story like books, just how weird that would be. You have like all these, they take trees and they pulverize them and then they make them into pages and they just have these black marks on them and they're just enthralled. Like they can go to the beach. We were just at the beach a couple weeks ago and they have this beautiful view and the ocean and all this stuff around and people are just staring at just like these pages and they're moving them. And then, uh, now, how strange is that? And then you think about, like, today, i got to look up the word here. I actually looked it up, and I thought, oh, you can memorize this so you sound smart. I can't. Uh, electrophoretic. Does that sound right? The only person I would know who would know that is Peter. Peter, does that sound right? Electrophoretic screen, phoretic screens, which is talking about, like, now it has changed. We don't even have these books anymore. They have plastic. Some people have plastic, and they have the metal cases, and they're just, they're just like, tapping. Imagine from outer space, you're just seeing someone just do this and stare at these lines, right? Because it was so fatiguing to hold a, a whole book and to, to do page turns. I mean, I just, I dare any one of you go to the doctor and said, have an injury from turning pages. I wonder if there's anything that's easier. And they said, yes, electrophoretic screens can help you. But that's not right. Are you going to tell me? Oh, the, the book, the show books, the show books that you have, like college students. Okay, that's where the injuries come from in your back, and then you go. That, that's it's probably some truth to that. So we, we have all these stories, and things have sort of changed. How many of you remember, grew up in the 80s? Anybody? I'm just saying hypothetically. And then you might remember a song like, I can go anywhere, take a look, it's in a book. Reading Rainbow, right? And LeVar Burton would get on, and they, they'd have these stories. Kids can't understand this fully because we didn't have the internet, and we would, we would try to get into these stories, and we just didn't have that. You read books, that's what you did, or you had to imagine it with pictures. You'd go to the library, and this was a big deal. I went to the library all the time as a kid, and they tried to, the TV shows that we did watch were often someone reading a book. That's how it worked. Like, they didn't tell the story. It would be reading a book, so you could look at an example. I don't even know the name of it. There would be one where they would read the book. They'd open it up. The guy would be telling the story, he looked like my uncle, and then the lady had like these chalk paints, does anyone remember that? This was like an M uh, public television show, and they would draw the drawing, and then the story would come, and then the wolf would be moving, and then they would just move like two parts of it. I was fascinated by these shows, right? I love these shows, and why, why do we like this? Our life changes, we kind of step into these stories. And the Reading Rainbow is basically saying the same thing, and I believed it as a kid, that if I got and I started reading a book, I could go anywhere. And I distinctly remember having my third grade teacher, I sent her, when my kids were growing up, I sent her an email, I was able to do that, and said, hey, what was the name of that book with the rocket, I, I mean, with the, the guy who had a robot, and you know, I couldn't, can't even remember it again, but she, sent, she was so glad that that book had an impact on me, she sent me the title, and then I read the same book that I heard as a third grader, 
Barb chased it, you had violence. <laughs> so she was so excited about this. Why? Because I remember distinctly being in that world. Like you could really go anywhere in these stories. And I think it's a little bit different now because now what happens? Um, the world, that's, that's the book world. We live in the reality now that if you're like, man, I wonder what it looks like to go to Hawaii. You just look it up, right? You could do like virtual tours of Hawaii. You could go through it. And Amy works for the library. She brought home a thing called the Oculus. Sounds very ominous. It means the eye, right? So this is a virtual reality. You can check this out at the library, which is kind of fun. So you put this virtual reality headset on called the Oculus, and then you're in the room. Has anyone experienced this? Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating thing. So this world, and one of the things is your greatest fears. So what would that be in the Oculus if they could program this so that you're supposed to be able to face your fears with this virtual reality? So they have spiders, I think. They have snakes. They don't have clowns, so I don't think it's totally legit. My worst nightmare would be clowns followed very closely by paying retail price. Those would be the two, if those two went together. And the worst nightmare actually probably of all time was if I put the Oculus on and the clown was helping me at Joanne Fabrics and I had to pay full price for the fabric. That would be like, I couldn't imagine anything more terrifying. I would just be like this for two days. Like that's how, but we, we can kind of do this virtual reality. And I think this is what's fascinating about scripture when we talk about stories. Uh, because this is about as close as we can get to a miracle. You can put yourself into a situation. That's what we're going to do today. And I'm going to go through the story now, and then we're going to kind of backtrack to say, who in this story, or whom, I'm not sure which, it, um, which person do you identify with? And when you hear this story, you put yourself in this story. So uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7. Uh, Mike read it, so we'll kind of zip through it fairly quick. I'll have a couple comments here. So one of the Pharisees, Pharisees are interesting guys. Uh, usually when we tell them, uh, when you hear sermons about Pharisees, are they good guys or bad guys? They're always the bad guys, right? They, dun, 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 then the Pharisees enter and you picture them like, like they all wear dark or something like that. The Pharisees at that time were pretty well-respected people. They were lay people. They weren't priests and they did all the right things. So you can think of like someone you look up to who does all the right things. Maybe at work, they're always doing the right thing and you're like, wow, these are solid individuals. So that's the Pharisee, he invites Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And just to picture this, I'll cover it in a second. Uh, reclining at the table, they ate kind of on the ground. And they cheat. Has anyone ever been to like a Middle Eastern restaurant? They don't really do that anymore. They, they get close. They get close. Like, like not like a real Middle Eastern restaurant, but in the United States, they cheat for us Westerners. They usually have the table really low and they have the pillows and you're like, this is the experience. Then they have a pit because... If I ever like bent down with my knees for an hour, I would never get back up. So they have a pit that you can sit on, but that's the idea. So where would your legs go? So just imagine this. Where would your legs go if you were going to sit at a table? Like really, really low. Probably not like crisscross applesauce. That's the politically correct way to say it. But I mean, I think you would kind of shift back and forth. You'd have to move them. So your feet would kind of sprawl behind you. That's kind of the idea, especially if you're eating. You won't want your feet right by the table. So imagine that as we go on to the story. So a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping behind him, so you can picture where his feet would have been, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She then wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner in. So Jesus answered Simon, he can picture all things. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So he tells him this story. Uh, two people owed money to a certain money lender. 
One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And this is what uh, Mike was talking about in the kids' lesson. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began saying to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But let, let's talk about each of these characters and which one you relate to. And I know very de- we, we don't really want to relate to either one, right? To be honest. I mean, no one wants to say, yeah, I relate to the Pharisee. And none of us want to say, like, yeah, I can picture it being the, the utterly sinful woman with a bad reputation. Like, none of us want to connect to either of those things. So, but I think in a lot of ways we connect to both of them. So just kind of walk with me for a second. So Simon, who does all the right things, has determined, I mean, picture it this way, Simon has determined where he finds his value, in a sense, right? So Simon has said, if I do all the right things, and I do all the laws correctly, and I invite the right people to dinner, and I have the right judgments on people, then I feel pretty good about myself. And I think we can relate in some way, because at some point, you have determined what is really valuable to you, and then you determine who is going to judge that, right? And so we've gone through examples before, but it's pretty simple. If you're really good at school, and you decide, like, this is what I want to do. I want people to look at me and say I'm really good at my schoolwork. Do you feel pressure to do good at school? Do well at school. Shoot. That was dang it. <laughs> do you feel pressure to do well at school? Yeah, if you're a 4.0, there's a certain pressure. Even though you don't really want to study, it's not like you love reading the books. You're not like, right there, you're like, I can't believe I got myself into this mess. This is what I want to do. So the same thing happens, right, if you're the super fun guy. I mean, let's just go, kind of do back and forth. So it's not all like these high, high-level things. If you're known as the super fun guy at a party, you're going to do stuff they don't really want to do because you're, you're saying, my reputation kind of is stuck on this. Like, people look at me and think I'm the fun guy, so now this is what I have to do. So then you end up doing that. And what, who determines that? The other people, right? So the same, let's flip it over back here. You picture yourself being the guy at work who, or the woman at work that works harder than anybody else. So what do you have to do when it comes down to like a deadline to show that you work harder than everybody else? You got to work harder than everybody else, right? And are you super pumped about that? Are you super pumped about calling your husband or your wife to say, hey, just so you know, I rely on my, I feel good about myself by how hard I work and everyone recognizes that I work harder than everybody else and I have to work harder than everyone else and I'm going to ignore you. Is that okay? Like, do you want to have that phone call? But in a sense, you, you've picked your judgment, and you're determining kind of how you view yourselves. And this could be just about anything. You could be the ultimate sports person. You could be the ultimate fan. You could be the best coach ever. You could be the most caring person. You could be the person who gives someone the shirt off your back. Every time you pick something like that that says, this is who I am, you've got to back it up. And eventually, someone comes calling, and you've got to back it up in order so that you feel pretty good about yourself. So what happens when you're in that kind of realm? We talk about fears. What do you think the Pharisee's biggest fear would have been? To me, it seems like his greatest fear would have been like being found out that he's not that great of a Pharisee. Right? Doesn't it seem like that's his greatest fear? So he tries to line up everything. And 
and what would it feel like if anyone started to put a chink in that armor that said like, started to recognize he's really not that great at what he thinks he's so great at? This is real simple, right? Imagine this, um, you're, you, you say that you're the greatest Denver Nuggets sports fan of all time, right? I don't know hardly anything about the Nuggets. Uh, but, but you say you're the greatest Denver sports fan, you're the Nuggets fan of all time. And someone comes to you and they start to question you about your knowledge of the Nuggets. How does that make you feel? Well, you feel awesome about yourself as long as you pass. But what happens, they're like, hey, what do you think about that guy in the D-League? And you're like, yeah, that guy in the D-League. What guy in the D-League, right? You might not know, right? And then you feel terrible about yourself and you get really defensive. And you get, like, anxious. What happens if someone finds me out, right? Like, if you put your whole asset in, like, you're this great athlete, what happens if people find out you're not? Like, so you live this life in kind of anxiety that you're somehow going to be found out. You live your life worried. And how do you make yourself feel better? You just talk about other people. And it works. If you're the best teacher, you say, hey, I'm the great teacher, and you feel really good about being a teacher, it's really easy to talk to other teachers about some other teacher who's not that great especially one where people are, there's like a competition. They say between you and, you know, like Miss James, you're the best teachers at this school. How good does it feel to talk bad about Miss James? Because this is what happens. I feel pretty good about myself. So why do I bring this up? I don't think you and I, when you read the story of the Pharisee and say invite Jesus over and we're going to judge and we think we get to heaven by our own righteousness, I don't think that relates to us. But I think we do relate to this idea that we have our own story we tell the world and we do a lot of things and we make a lot of decisions so that the, st the world hears our narrative. So you live in anxiety, you live in fear, you live about wondering if you're ever going to be found out. Simon, when he meets this woman, he, he does get it right. He's, Jesus, this woman comes to his house and he says, I can't believe Jesus doesn't recognize this sinner. Is the woman a sinner? Yeah. So he understands the woman, but what doesn't he understand? Who he is. And so Jesus has to say, Simon, I want you to understand who you are. Your relationship with God is not all the right things you did. Your relationship with God is where you stand and you don't stand very well. So let me tell you a story. And he tells him the story with the denarii and he recognized forgiveness. That's person one. So do you relate with the Pharisee. I think on some level. I find a lot of my value, if I want to talk personally, in different things. It's not always my values in Christ. I find it in different things about working hard. I find it in, you know, I'm not going to go into details because now then you guys would know how to manipulate me. So, <laughs> right? But I, we, every one of us has something. And we've let someone else judge our world and determine if we're okay. So now I've just pictured this scene, right? This guy brings Jesus in more for an interview rather than to find a savior. And this woman hears that Jesus is at this guy's house. And her reputation is very simple, right? The, the Pharisee made his own reputation. She had her own reputation. What's that reputation? She's a sinful woman. So in a town, what could you guess that would be related to? I doubt it's stealing. You know, I doubt it's being shady. To me, it seems like this is a direct connotation of a sexual sin, right? She is known as that woman. Like every town has that woman, right? And this is that woman in that town. Where is the last place you would want to go? If you're known as that woman, who is the last house you'd want to eat at? Can you think of anyone who would be more judgmental than the guy who's got it all right? Can you imagine that? A friend of mine went to vacation, and they came back, and they said, I really enjoyed vacation. I loved it. And then I came back to Colorado, and everyone in Colorado is fit, so now I don't feel so good anymore. 
right? You ever look around at our state, like everyone's somehow in shape? You're like, what is the deal here, right? This does not feel good. Go spend some time in like Alabama or Wisconsin, you feel great for a little bit, right? <laughs> so th th what is happening there? Where's the last place you'd want to go? Like if I'm going to go on vacation and they're like, hey, you're going to go hang out at the beach. I'm like, yeah, I want to go hang out with like supermodel guys. Is, it, is that even a thing, supermodel guys? <laughs> is it, what do they call them? Okay, I don't even know what they call them. Supermodel ladies and then somehow the guys, there are no supermodel guys, that's why. <laughs> there are no, so they're called actors, that's what they're called. So why would, it, why would you want to go do that, right? Like they just lay it on the beach, all these guys are just like ripped and all the ladies look incredible and you're like, yeah, they're great, love the sun. <laughs> I'm not feeling well, I'm going to go read my book so no one sees, right? Why would you want to do that? Why would this woman want to go into the house of the most judgeable person that she could ever imagine? Because that's where Jesus was. Right? When she looks at herself, her reputation, everybody knows. And it's no, it's no trick. Everybody knows it. She tried to probably hide it for a long, long time. And I don't know why she found love in another guy's arms or what the deal was. But she has this reputation. She is broken. She is hurting. And all she wants to do is find Jesus. Now think about like our own world, like the last place I think a lot of people would want to come is a church. Because in their mind, these are the people who have it right. But I think if you sat down with someone who talk about God's word every day, what would you tell someone? Why do you go to church? I don't think you'd say so that I feel better about myself by looking at all the losers. Right? I, I don't think that's what you'd say. I don't think you'd say I, I do it so I can gossip and I can feel in fear. Why do you come to church? Because that's where Jesus is. That's where there's acceptance, and that's where there's forgiveness, and that's where there's a group of people who look around and go, I'm no better than you, right? But God has come, and he's taken my sins away. What would her, her greatest fear be? I mean, I think about his fear, it's being found out. I think her greatest fear was that she would go to someone, the only hope she has left and would not be accepted. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says this woman with all her sins and all her reputation, it does not matter. I accept her. So who do you relate to when you think about this story? I think we relate to both. At least I do, right? On one level, I never want people to find out who and what mistakes I've done and, and you know, to, to uphold this kind of look and this reputation I have. And the other end, or on the other end, uh, there, there's part of me and there's a heart that's broken because of those things that you've done. And the devil just works on that stuff and says, you do not deserve to be near our God. And so we put these two together and what do we find? We find a savior that loves both people. And I think that's the fascinating part. He loves the woman enough to say, I bring you forgiveness through me. And he loves the guy enough to say that your sins are keeping you from me. Let's point these out. I don't know where you're at in your life right now. Maybe it's a moment where you need to step back and go, have I found my value in something else? And that's where I think God should shine on me. Then God says, before you enter and face a holy God, you need a savior. But maybe you're on the other end. And of all the places you wanted to go, this is maybe the last place you wanted to be, but here is Jesus, fully, completely accepting you to say, let's be part of this family. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Why do people like stories? Because you can put yourself in that person. You can imagine that. I can imagine myself in both these scenarios. I think it's an awesome thing that we don't really put ourselves in Jesus' story. Jesus puts himself in our story. And he takes on our sinfulness. He takes on our despair. He takes on our guilt. 
so that we can be part of his story and we can live with him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, it's a fascinating story. We love stories. We love to be part of these stories. It can take us to a different place. And this is a story that's about two people, but it's really about us. It gives us a chance to look at our own heart, our own self-righteousness, this own sense that I'm better than the other people around this world. It changes how we look at people when we find our value in something besides you. Help us change and recognize because of the great sins that we've had, we can love you much. And in loving you much, we see a display that you always love us completely back. You completely accept us and you give us this assignment to go out into the world and look at people differently. Not people that we can judge to make ourselves feel better, but instead a group of people that we can put our arms around, that we can love because they're in the same place we are, broken and fallen through sin. We ask this in your name. Amen. Ooh.